2: Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists and in each episode we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not, and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. Outdoor garden furniture. We'd be lost without it, wouldn't we?
1: Oh, there's nothing quite like chilling out in the... In the garden on a lazy sunday afternoon is I there i know
2: and and you know it's a, it's the venue it's the it's the thing that facilitates those wonderful family barbecues and the the big long table filled up with all everybody celebrating and having a great old time cricket in the background cricket in the background that's exactly right but i'll tell you what at this time of year the outdoor furniture setting can start to look a
1: bit cranky can't it it's got <sighs> winter written all over it I quite like what you just said, is that it's chance that your good furniture can go bad. Yeah,
2: yeah that's it. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Your furniture, you know, if you don't look after your furniture and you invite your mates around for a game of backyard cricket and somebody plonks themselves down on it, there is a very high chance that they're going to end up on YouTube in world's funniest lawn chair failure videos or something because... Your garden furniture, apart from looking dirty, can also end up a bit dangerous at this time of year.
1: Well, you know, not only with, with if you've got wooden furniture or even metal furniture because that can rust, but things will just decay and you'll mm. really end up flat on the backside. And then you might end up if you haven't taken care of your furniture properly, you don't know what's underneath it.
2: Cleaning your furniture. Mm. Have you got any tips on different ways we can clean the different types of furniture? Because let's look at the different sorts, I guess, of materials that people have most often these days. We've got the timber Mm -hmm. furniture, the Mm -hmm. the classic style. Then there's your aluminium that tends to have, you know, the nylon sling type backs Mm -hmm. and things like that and then probably the most popular one you see a lot of these days is that woven wicker the 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 um oh, the, yeah. that sort of uh, synthetic wicker mm. that um creates the look of the old style um mm. furniture but it's using using modern materials in modern colors so there's really those those three main groups mm. so um look i I've, I've got some tips on cleaning the the timber furniture just a good brush yeah, well, it, and a it, hose. It's sometimes though it can go a bit deeper than that because you can get, particularly if we've had a damp winter, um, what can happen is you end up with some ingrained moulds can get into the, the actual grain of the timber and that's where you get some nasty sort of black staining happens so in that, the timber. Yeah,
1: I guess that happens up north, yeah. Yeah, it's, it the... is
2: much more inclined to happen in the, in the humid climates yeah. or if you've got a, an entertainment area that tends to be in a lot more shade across winter so mm-hmm. it gets damp and it stays damp. For a long time so there are some great outdoor furniture cleaning products that will lift a lot of that that dirt and muck out of the out of the the actual grain of the timber. Many of those are very easy to use you can just in fact um, spray it on, you mix it up, spray it on and it will do the job itself. Some of it you might need to give a little bit of a scrub to but the most important thing is, let the furniture dry after you've you've washed and cleaned it like that, and then it needs a good nourishing oil because timber is, at the end of the day, it's still an organic material, mm. and if you want to stop it splitting, if you want to stop it deteriorating, going that horrible grey colour, then you do need to make sure you're getting some nourishing oils yep. into it at least once a year, and that'll bring you, your um, timber furniture back to life. And But
1: also, they quite often after a couple of years, they'll need, if you've painted them, they'll need an extra coat of paint.
2: Yes, well that's it too, and I I discovered recently the the joys of using an airless sprayer for doing things like that. In the past I've always hand painted stuff like that, but I brought uh, an airless sprayer for another project. Absolutely perfect for giving a really good coat of paint to things like outdoor furniture that mm-hmm. it can otherwise be a bit fiddly to paint. So have a look at that one because it's a, actually a great tool for other projects around the cool, home as well. Because
1: I've got my I've got a couple of um Adirondack chairs mm, mm. which I was sitting out on last not last night, one night last week, just sitting out there basking away. It was really nice. And I thought, God, these need a clean.
2: Now, the next one, of course, is the, the aluminium and the, the mm. slingback type of chairs. They're a lot easier to clean because the, the aluminium doesn't tend to get really impacted by much. Nothing soaks into it, but that, those sort of mesh slingbacks, they can get a bit grotty over time. So it's, it's worth giving them a good clean down. Again, you'll find products that are suitable for cleaning them, but often they have cushions on them and mm-hmm. the cushions can get a bit mucky. Now, mm-hmm. if you're dealing with cushions that have got removable covers and get those covers off, many of them are machine washable. Just make sure you, stick to the recommendations, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, then stick the cushions out in the sun for a while just to, to give them a bit of air. And, and that sort of furniture cleans up really well. And the wicker, the, the faux wicker furniture, It tends to be the same. You'll find that there's some products you can use to clean it down because I have found in experience that they can get really mucky down the the crevices and things just from dust. Yeah, yeah. So so do give them a good clean, possibly with one of those cleaning products and a hose down with some with some water. An important thing is if you're going to wash any of your furniture like this, make sure you stand it in the sun to dry before you put it back away. Yeah, Yeah, because otherwise you can end up right back where you were before. And a little thing too, often that wicker furniture, not unusual for them to have timber feet on the bottom of them that you, you may not actually notice. That will need to be treated just like other timber. So make sure you get a bit of oil into that. But yeah. apart from that, outdoor furniture can come up looking fresh and
1: there's a daisy. Also, I think people need to realise that it is outdoors mm. and so they are going to get a lot more wear and tear. And Not that, through you, but through the weather.
2: Just through the elements. And that—that—that that, that is a fact, that the lifespan is going to be limited. One thing that I think people really overlook too is just getting out the spanner or the screwdriver. Once mm-hmm. you've given it a clean, go over your furniture from top to bottom and make sure all of those nuts and bolts are tight. So
1: you don't get that youtuber.
2: So you don't end up <laughs> going straight through your chair. <laughs> so – have a look at your furniture, give it a fantastic clean-up. It'll look good as new once you've been out and cleaned it up and make sure it's nice and safe by tightening up all those nuts and bolts. You're listening to Garden Better from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Well, Jen, spring is just around the corner and... Can't wait. Yes, I know. And as we mentioned before, the garden probably isn't looking real flash at the moment, is it? Uh, no. <laughs> well, the thing is that a little bit of work in the garden now... It's kind of like a multiplying effect. You do a little bit now and it can save you a lot of time come spring because you're doing the the real foundation work yeah. that, that yeah. really sets up how well your garden is going to perform in spring. So there's lots and lots of little things you can do that it's – in fact, it's a nice time of year to be getting out, enjoying some of that sunshine and warming yourself up while the mornings are still a bit chilly. But uh, I've always believed in when you're doing an all-over garden tidy up, to start from the bottom and work your way up. You've sort of got to find a point to start at. Otherwise, you t- tend to end up a little bit all over the place, I think. You well, sort you of do. You've jump got, you jump from one thing to another.
1: You could, I think that's a really, really good idea for, for for working in the garden like that because then you've got a plan and you can follow it through and then you know, know the next day when you come back or the next weekend where, you,
2: where you're, up to. Where you're and, up to. Another one too, and I, I've often applied this to garden design when, People say they're just so over trying to work out how to do their garden. Stop looking at everything as one entire thing and mm. break it all up into bite-sized chunks. So, you know, think to yourself, I'm going to do the pruning this weekend and next weekend I'll do some mulching and and break it all up into bits that are achievable rather than bouncing around all over the yard like a pinball.
1: Yeah, and you also, you know what, I think it's a good time to actually just sort of sit in the garden for a good 10, 15 minutes, half an hour with a cup of coffee or a yeah. glass of wine. Um, and have a look at, because there's so little activity in the garden now, you can actually see while you were talking about the overall picture, you can actually sort of look at individual parts of the garden and see where you could make improvements come spring. Mm, thinking absolutely. about all that sort of stuff.
2: The point I like to start at, as I said, start at the bottom, work your way up. Fertilizing. Very important at this time of year because it's giving your garden a good feed that's going to really wake it up and give it that energy to run through spring.
1: And also, I think also before you do the bit of fertilizing is give your garden a bit of a dig around as well because, I mean, the fertilizer is really important. It replenishes the garden after all the activity in summer. But it just just needs a little bit of aerating as well, I think.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. I think there's... Many people still think in the old school way of, of feeding the plants without thinking about feeding the soil. And looking after the soil with that little bit of husbandry, of, of, of fluffing it up a little bit, particularly if you're adding some uh, nice compost and manures in there, you're feeding the soil, not just the plants. And that's the important thing if you want a really, really healthy garden is to basically be feeding the whole lot and, and getting everything. And it's
1: just a, the start of a big job. I mean, you, you kick it off and then all those little creatures underneath will start moving as well and they'll do all the hard yes, work well,
2: for it, you. It, it, uh, that's the point is that it's basically a giant community underground as well as there is yeah. one uh, is one above ground. Now, if you have a watering system as well, great time of year. Chances are you dialed it down a bit for winter or you might have even completely turned it off. Now's the time to reevaluate how often that should be running and right. maybe turn that back on or increase the cycle. Um, mulch, I'm an enormous fan of mulch. I think it's the single most significant sustainable thing you can ever do in the garden. Mm-hmm. Now is the time to be getting some mulch onto your plants because most of the time you need to top up mulch about every year year to to year and a half and I basically think the best thing to do is just get in a habit of making it a spring task so top your mulch up yep Um, and how are your plants looking I mean stuff needs a tidy up doesn't it Jen I mean it's just looking that little bit scraggly and rough after winter I think
1: you really have to um, get a move on with your trimming because once spring hits they're just going to go berserk and I think things like vines and creepers you have to really really cut back And also it's a good opportunity to sort of figure out where you want your climbers to go. They often go in the wrong direction. Yeah,
2: because they tend to go whatever way they want. What's the expression? They're, they're geotrophic and phototrophic. So yes. basically, they'll follow gravity and follow the sun. Follow so so the they'll sun. basically mm. go directions. It pretty much means whichever way you don't want them to go, that's yes. where they'll go. Yes. <laughs> but an important one for people to remember if they are going to be doing any pruning is be aware of what you're pruning. You obviously, at this time of year, if you've got some spring bloomers in the garden, you obviously don't want to go pruning them now. No. because you'll be taking off that wood that's going to become the flowering wood. So, you know, things like camellias that might have finished flowering, you can give them a light haircut all over and they'll they'll benefit from that absolutely.
1: Yeah, with the spring things, like, for example, the, your clematis will start putting out little buds by now mm. and uh, you don't want to lose those flowers.
2: No, absolutely not. They're such a, such a precious flower, so absolutely spectacular. Oh, but, yeah. Yes, to wait a year and then lose it, heartbreaking. (laughs) Now, the other thing too is weed watch. We tend to forget about weeds in the cooler times, but now is the time that a lot of, many weeds are annuals is what it comes down to. And many of them are just starting to get rolling at this time. So you keep a lid on weeds now, you'll save yourself some serious heartache during summer.
1: Well, they'll be especially busy now because you know at the end of winter, you've got um, so many bare patches in the lawn. And if there's a bare patch, they'll find it.
2: Absolutely. That's what weeds are good at doing. Adventitious colonizers, my botany teacher used to call them. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What about that empty spot you've had in the garden? Now it's the perfect time to be thinking about filling it, isn't it? Yes. Now is the time to be looking at bare-rooted trees, and I thought, who better to get on than somebody from Fleming's Trees? Now, Fleming's Trees are Australia's premium tree growers, and we have the honour of having Jake Flemings with us. Now, they don't just do ornamental trees, they also do a lot of fruiting trees, and now is the time for bare-rooted, as I mentioned, and Jake is going to tell us all about how to select them and how to plant them. Great. Jake Fleming from Fleming's Nurseries. Welcome, mate. And look, first off, I've got to say congratulations on 100 years of Fleming's Nurseries. That's an amazing record in the nursery industry. Tell me a little bit of the, the history of the, the family.
0: Well, thank you very much, Adam. And firstly, thank you for having me. Um, 100 years, it's, it's a long time. Um, it's a long time to be in business and it, it really is a, an honour to be part of it um, and something I'm really proud of as a family member. Um, it is a family business. We've been running, as you said, 100 years now. Started as a, a little orchard producing nursery back back in the dim dark ages um, and grown and grown and changed now to being one of Australia's largest wholesale nurseries.
2: Yeah, and it is amazing. I must admit, I have visited the Fleming's facilities and I remember having a look around with, with Wes, um, your father, yep. and having a look around and I said, so how far does the nursery go for? And he said, basically as far as you can see. <laughs> it's just astounding seeing this incredible number of, uh, of of trees in the ground. And people might know the Fleming's name as well from um, the world-famous Chelsea Flower Show because Wes was uh, putting forward display gardens there for quite a number of years and and took home the gold at the Chelsea Flower Show using, of course, um, Fleming's-type trees in the designs and taking the Fleming's name out there to the world, wasn't he?
0: He was. Chelsea was an amazing experience. I was only lucky enough to go over once in 2007 with Mark Browning. Um, it was a phenomenal experience. The people, the passion, the the gardens that were over there were just amazing. Um, compare it to the, the Melbourne Internet, International Flower and Garden Show. Chalk and cheese. Yeah, it's a, um, it, it is, is a an amazing. Dunning event.
2: Now, the big thing that you guys do, I know you do a lot of pl- a potted um, stock at different times of the year, but the real big time is this time of year when we start to look at bare rooted trees. And the they can be – we, we've talked bare-rooted roses before and I know that bare-rooted trees can be kind of spooky as well. We put in uh, in our last garden a, a six-foot high, the 1.8, six-foot high in the old money, weeping mulberry. And even as a horticulturalist, you know, I'm looking at this thing with this this – alien-like cluster of roots down the bottom and this tangle of of fine branches up the top, I'm looking at it thinking, I'm going to plant this and it's going to turn into something. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. bare-rooted, give us a little bit of a background on what it's like with trees and and how they're a good choice for the uninitiated.
0: It, it may look a little bit daunting, looking at all these sticks poking out of the ground. They've got no leaves on. You don't really know what's going to happen. But I can assure you, Adam, easiest and best time of year to plant them. Um, A bare root tree really is essentially a dormant, deciduous tree that's lost all its leaves, so it's not doing much. Gives us time to run a a big tractor under the roots, cut them off, shake off some dirt, and then get them around to the nurseries around the country.
2: And uh, I, many years ago, used to work in retail nursery, and
0: it was always really
2: interesting. I When I first started in in retail nursery, I'd see the senior horticulturalist talking to customers and customers would come in and say, I want a hazelnut tree or I want this or I want that. And the horticulturist would either write them down in a book or he'd say, yeah, come back and see us in winter, come back and see us in winter, just sort of giving people the flick. And it was only once I'd been there a couple of seasons, I realised that there's this enormous range of stuff because people tend to think of, of a company like Fleming's primarily for ornamental trees, but you do this incredible range of fruit trees, including nut trees and um, incredible numbers of, of stone fruits. So it, that's one of the bonuses, isn't it, for people at this time of year to be looking at that Different range, that extended range of, of species that are out there.
0: One of the main advantages of bare root is the range. Uh, we say almonds to walnuts and everything in between. Um, peaches, nectarines, plums, apricots, a uh, Fleming specific range of interspecific fruit, which is fruit crossed with other fruit, um, which gives us some really exciting flavours and colours and flowers. So, bare root really is the time for variety. Um, We provide a lot more species, different cultivars during winter because they're younger, they're cheaper, easier to produce and easier to ship around the country.
2: And I I often recommend the uh, fruit trees as being some of the best sustainable trees because you've got these incredible advantages. I I learnt... The love of gardening in my Nan's garden out at Parramatta way back, you know, many, many years ago. And it was an old garden. It had been grown from about 1900 onwards. So it was filled up with giant peach trees and nectarines and stuff like that. And they were fantastic because in summer you got this really deep shade. And then when the shade was just starting to ease back a bit, you'd get all the fruit starting to come on. So you get this beautiful crop of stone fruit. In winter, the sun flows through to the house. And then in spring, that flowering display. It's just an absolute knockout. I reckon personally, I reckon you can't beat them. Um, now, I mentioned before the size of Fleming's nurseries. How many acres do you guys cover? What's your your scale of growing?
0: It's a lot these days, and it's actually growing um, as time changes. The bare root nursery in Monbog is only about 100 acres these days, with the container nursery, which is our potted nursery, about 50 acres, and our advanced tree nursery, about 50 acres also. In the last five years, we purchased a nursery up on the Sunshine Coast too, which is amazing. It's 28 degrees every day, 15 minutes from the beach, um, and that's another 40 acres, specialising in more of the tropical fruit trees, the avocados, the mangoes, also supplying nationwide.
2: That's all my part of the world. That was was my trick question I was going to throw you because I I do love deciduous ornamental trees, and I live in the subtropics. Now, are there some deciduous ornamentals that will give me a bit of colour in the subtropics?
0: There are, but it's really trial and error. I'm no expert. I only ever get to to go up to Queensland on a holiday. I'm to uh a Busy down in Mombok <laughs> in the Dandenong Ranges where it's always cold and autumn coloury. We do have a, a long-time staff member, Liz, who's been up there for most of her life working remotely. So she lives in Brisbane and gets some really fantastic colour still in liquid ambers and her Lagostromia varieties. The Autumn Blaze or the, the Acer rubrum Acer freemanii Autumn Blaze is also the lowest chill Canadian maple, which trial and error you could get some really good results with.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'll give it a go because I know there are some liquid ambers in our street that seem to colour up quite well, but I will have a look at that. Now, a lot of people these days are gardening in smaller spaces and they think fruit trees and they think, yeah, I need a full size yard. Are there some fruit trees that are going to do well in pots and small spaces like courtyards or even just the small backyards that people have these days?
0: Absolutely. It's really exciting the range that's coming out on the market these days for the smaller gardens Um, As everyone knows, Australia's gardens are getting smaller. I personally live in a one-bedroom apartment in Collingwood with a little two-by-two-meter balcony and I've still got fruit trees on my garden. There are beautiful Trixie ranges of peaches, nectarines, cherries that are fantastic and will live a long time and produce great fruit on a balcony in a small courtyard. It's really about the right tree for the right environment. Speak to your local garden centre, they'll be able to give you all of the advice and point you in the right direction. And, of course, there's, there's great techniques that people can look into, those classic
2: techniques like espaliers where they can train a, an apple tree or a, a other different varieties of fruit trees on a flat surface. So you can, you can get like a screen of a fruit tree, which can be a fantastic way in, in small spaces in particular. Hey, look, just before we wrap up, have you got some top tips for the folks if they want to plant a bare-rooted fruit tree?
0: Bare root, keep it simple pruning and watering. They're the two most vital things when planting a bare root tree. So when we dig it out of the ground back in Mombol, we actually take or leave half the roots behind. So it's really important when you're putting the tree in the ground to cut the top back by 30 or 50% just to give the the tree the best chance in spring to shoot away. A little bit of fertiliser come springtime will do it all the world of good and your tree's growing beautifully. Awesome. Thank you
2: very much, Jake Fleming from Fleming's Nursery. It's been great having you in, mate. Thanks for having me. Lightning by the
1: Moon with Milton Black. Hi Milton how are you
3: very well Jenny and uh, oh this is uh, really really going to be a, an interesting period for gardening because we're coming out of that heavy winter and getting ready to zip into that spring but I do feel basically uh, it's not the best couple of weeks really for doing a lot in the garden apart from maintenance but we've got a few days here mm-hmm. now from the from the 20th the moon's actually in Aries and it moves into Taurus on the 21st in the afternoon, about 2.37 in the afternoon. So what you can actually do here on the 20th and the 21st, you can transplant on the 20th. And on the 21st, you can actually put your root crops in at that stage too. And if you haven't put in your um, deciduous trees and you're still waiting to get in there and do it at the last minute, then I would suggest you put in your bare-rooted trees between the 20th, 21st, 22nd, and the 23rd. Now, they're excellent days, and you can still pop in a few roses if you've got them there too. Mm. So that's ex excellent time there to, to do that. Now, I also feel that during that period when the Moon's actually coming into that last quarter on the uh, Saturday, the um, 24th, you can uh, perhaps do a little bit of sea salting or uh, seaweed sort of um, uh, refresher for those Mm -hmm. plants that you put in there between the 20th to the 23rd because when the moon goes into Gemini on the 24th, it's a no-no period for anything to do with planting until uh, we get into uh, the first, uh, first and second days of September. So what you should be doing there, virtually, the last quarter of the moon is on Saturday, uh, the 24th, no gardening, not that day, go and have a long lunch or something like that. Oh, and then nice. on Sunday, Sunday right through uh, to the new moon, which is on Friday the 30th, that's the heavy fertilising time. Now, you really get in with your, your fertiliser, spread your compost, um, and if you're Still, want to do some pruning, you want to clean up the place. An excellent time to do that because it's just getting ready now for the spring to catch everything, and away you go. So, um, you know, you could still even clip a few little hydrangeas there too, but be a little careful because they should be starting to almost spring at about that stage. Yes, that's but right. it's very But it's very, very good for any sort of heavy work in the garden, digging up your garden. And also, that is a superb week for all you people that want to put in a lawn. So you don't actually put the lawn in during that period, but you can start putting the lawn in from Sunday the 1st and Monday the 2nd. You can actually sow the seeds. But during that period, you get all your surface prepared. So you uh, hoe, you you rake, you get all the little stones out and you have it nice and smooth, have it watered, all re- ready to fresh, get your, your bucket. And remember when you're sowing seed, people, don't forget to mix it with a little bit of sand, sand. as well. Mm. And you mix your seed and your sand to get it goes on easier. And it also helps to keep those little silly birds away from taking your seeds. So spread your sand and seed together on the first, and the 2nd of September. But prepare the garden and prepare your lawn right through this next week and a half, and uh, you'll be right as well. You'll have the best lawn in the street because you're actually planting when the moon is actually on the turn going into the new moon on the 30th. So on the 1st and 2nd, you're going to get a grab in your garden as early as that. So that's, that's quite nice. Now, I do feel also that in August, spring is just around the corner, sort of coming into that period of September. So your flower gardens, your shrubs and trees and roses and all that should be starting to really pop. Your bulbs should be starting to show through the soil and uh, a light dressing of potash too during that period of the uh, 25th to the 29th, a nice light um, sort of dressing of potash to strengthen the flower stems Mm -hmm. of your bulbs. During that period, that's that's going to be absolutely great. And don't forget to get rid of all that dead foliage. And uh, you should apply a little bit of superphosphate too, uh, as well as your potash for those bulb areas. And you'll have the best and sweetest daffodils and, and uh, bulb uh, plants in in the neighbourhood, that's for sure, because they've got to have something to eat. So basically, things are looking pretty good, but it's um, it's really a hard-working maintenance time, apart from that um, first and 2nd of September. And then when we get into September later on, we'll talk about how we're going to really have the best garden in the street.
1: Fantastic. All right. That's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Milton.
3: Now, uh, just a little thing too. Did you know that uh, earth signs and water signs and air signs and fire signs, they all work pretty well together, you know? So if you've got uh, an air sign, and, uh, and a fire sign, well, you get a lot of hot air when the mud, when the two people <laughs> it, they go in the garden. Now, you see, my wife, uh, my wife actually is an earth sign, and I'm a water sign, and all we do, Jen, is make mud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyhow, I hope we don't throw garden. it at each other.
3: No, not at all. We have a lot of fun in the garden. Excellent. But, uh, happy gardening, people, and we'll talk in the spring proper. Because there's some beautiful things to happen.
1: Fantastic. Thanks very much, Milton. That was a great episode. What do you think, Jenny? Yes, I think it was great too. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you?
2: Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does the fast forwards and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape
1: and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at BHGAUS. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then.